us. We heard the song at the beginning. It's Jesus. It's about Jesus. And uh, that's really what we're doing for uh, these weeks, is these months, is, is we're going to travel through the gospel and we're going to look to see Jesus and get closer to Jesus, and revisit Jesus, and look at the stories. And you know, I, I pray because a lot of us have grown up in Sunday school. A lot of us have grown up around the church, and we know the stories of Jesus. And so the tendency is, as we read this, it's like, oh yeah, I know that story. And my prayer is that we will open up our hearts for God to speak to us in new and fresh ways as we study the gospel of Mark together again. Uh, we've been challenging you uh, up on Messenger. I've been reminding you because I've been reminding myself of what passage to read that day because we've challenged you to read through the Gospel of Mark in 30 days. It's never too late to start. And, and it might be one of those things that you're going to find that you're going to need to do over and over and over again uh, as we make ourselves familiar, uh, fresh and anew uh, in the Gospel of Mark. You could see it in their eyes. As they sat there on the edge of the bed, silent and still, they were utterly focused. Just ages four and five at the time, I'm talking about our daughter and our son, not sure what would happen next, basically sitting on the edges of their seat, uh, on pins and needles for uh, every detail. You see, it was the brilliance of C.S. Lewis's writing and even more than 20 years after he had passed, our children were still uh, excited as his work was still working in that generation. Well, now it's been over 50 years, and his work still touches many generations. Um, and so today we see the ministry of Jesus is now announced, as we heard in our passage. I'm talking, what am I talking about? The lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Now, how many people know the Chronicles of Narnia? A few of you, a few of you. How many saw the movie? A few more. See, we, there's a lot of us that don't like to read, and so we go to get to see the movie. Uh, just don't do that for your English class in high school. That'll get you into trouble, which some of us would try to do back in the day. Um, and, and this is just amazing. If you know C.S. Lewis um, and, and his writing style, and he has a lot of books that are not... Uh, written towards children that are very, very powerful. Actually, he has a very, very powerful book on grief about experiencing in his own life uh, how he lost his wife and how grief affected him. But, but this is amazing, this book called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It is the Chronicles of Narnia, and it's actually the second book, but we all talk about this book more than we do the first. And, and, and so it's about four children they find their way into this magical land called Narnia, that's why the title of the movie, ruled by an oppressive queen, the White Witch, who forces all of Narnia to live in an eternal winter, and I'm not sure, but it almost sounds like February and PEI, eternally. Near the beginning of the book, the children wandering through the woods look for a friend and stumble upon a movement in the snow and go closer, wondering what it could be. Whatever it is, says Peter, the eldest boy, it's dodging us. It's something that doesn't want to be seen. It's, it's kind of an animal, says Susan, the eldest girl, and then follows Lewis's careful description. They all saw at this time a whiskered, furry face, which had looked out at them from behind a tree. 
The animal put his paw to his mouth, much as humans put their fingers on their lips when they are signaling to us to be quiet. Then it disappeared again. The children all stood up holding their breath. The children eventually find themselves taken in by what turns out to be a talking beaver. (laughs) The beaver tells them many things of Narnia, but he also tells them about Aslan. The lion, Narnia's hope, the coming king. And as you may know, Aslan is one of the greatest pictures of Christ in literary literary form, in writing that has ever been. Do you know our four and our five-year-old, when we read this story to them, knew that the story was about Jesus as they read that. Actually, C.S. Lewis's purpose and hope as he wrote the book Early on in the book, though, we don't learn much of the character of this Aslan, the king himself. Despite all evidence to the contrary, the beaver begins to tell them. They say that Aslan is now on the move. Perhaps he's already landed. Lewis continues in his story. And now a very curious thing happened. None of the children knew who Aslan was any more than you do. But the moment the beaver had spoken these words, everyone felt quite different. At the name of Aslan, each one of the children felt something jump in its inside. And then they said, Aslan is on the move. Narnia would never be the same. Narnia was in the process of being changed. Aslan was on the move. Well, this morning, why do I tell you that story? Well, that story this morning I tell you because we're coming into that place now in uh, Mark's gospel where Jesus now is on the move. Jesus was obscure. He was this person who was in the wilderness. Before that, he was baptized. John knew who he was. God knew who he was. But no one else seemed to know who he was. But now Mark is telling us that Jesus is on the move. Jesus is now center stage as we continue to read through the gospel of Mark. It's coming at a very, very sad time. It's at a time when John the Baptist was arrested, we're told, in our passage. But unlike John, Jesus doesn't stay in one spot and tell everyone to come to him. Actually, what happens is Jesus is now going out and bringing the gospel to people all around. And we are told in that passage that he goes out preaching the good news in Galilee. And we know as we read the gospel of Mark, we will see that Jesus goes to where people are, right in their mess, right in their need, right in their loneliness. He sits with sinners and publicans. He's there with those that mourn and grieve. He even gives back those that have lost a child. And so we see the passage of Scripture today, Jesus' first sermon, pretty short. You'd say, amen, pastor, if your sermons were that short. (laughs) Two lines. His first sermon that you will see that he continues to live out and preach. He says, the kingdom, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's what we're looking at this morning. That's that's what we're trying to understand today and get more out of this two little phrases that we've heard probably all our lives. That maybe we would have a better understanding and respond 
the way that God would want us to respond. Jesus is on the move. Well, what we see here, first of all, he says that the time is fulfilled. The right time. We, we hear that throughout Scripture. The time. The time was fulfilled. And, and our problem is that we only have one word for time. You've heard this. We've shared this before. But we only have one word for time. And, and, and usually time for us is something that we watch our watches. You actually look and you might even be checking your watch right now, which you'll just probably do after me saying that. We, we get up in the morning, we want to know what time it is. We want to know what day it is. Uh, we know the day that, that, well, we don't know the day we were born, but if someone tells us that the day we were born, <laughs> and we remember it later and celebrate it, there will come a day when the end of our lives on earth, and, and they will come to an end, and, and we're in this period of time. I, I've been working on the Mount Pleasant Cemetery, and we're trying to bring order and everything in there as our committee gets together. And, and I, we went in, and we began to realize that the tombstones aren't where they're supposed to be and all that fun stuff that I'm trying to work out right now. But I'll tell you one thing. As you go, you see that first date, and you see that second date, a period of time. Some people, we've talked about that, live the dash. It's not when you're born, it's not when you die. It's how you live the dash that matters. That's a different message. But the, the word in Greek for that kind of time, it, it, it's chronos. It's, it's based where we get chronology. It's that 24-7 it's that type of time that, that we seem to be stuck in, but yet we're being drawn forward into history. It's that, that very, very uh, struggling of time. But that's not the word that Jesus uses here. Jesus uses a different Greek word, which is kairos. Oh, you're thrilled, New Testament Greek, as I must have been in when I was back in Bible school. Not. But Kairos is important because Kairos is God's time. And that's what Jesus is saying here. When God's time is fulfilled. And see, God's time stands outside your time. God is not held down to our 24-7. He stands out of all of it. And at any moment, he can break into your time. In any moment, it can be a changing moment that you will never forget and your life will never be the same again. That's what Jesus is saying here. That's the time that's fulfilled. This life-changing time when God steps in into our world and into our lives and into our problems and into our sin and into our struggle and changes us for eternity. That's Kairos. I don't know if you've ever been there. I've been there where I've been in some services. I can still remember them today. I can't tell you the time, the date, and the hour but there were times when God broke in. And I felt like I was in, well, Paul says about being taken up to another plane. But, but I was taken out of body, that kind of experience where you're there, but you're not really there. And it's like time stands still and God is present and you're just amazed. Now, we can't live in that every day. That doesn't happen every Sunday. But I can point to you in my life, there were times where God broke in like that for me. And those are Kairos moments. And I long for those times again when God will break in. My friends, Mark tells us that Jesus said the time is fulfilled and Jesus is on the move. He then goes on to say the kingdom of God is at hand. Now I want you to look at your hand. 
Look at your hand. Now here's the point. It's very profound. That's how close God's kingdom is. That's what it's saying. God's kingdom is at hand. God's kingdom is as close as your two hands today. That's how close God's kingdom has come. And that's what, what Jesus is saying here. God's kingdom right now is that close to you. It is at hand. Jesus is on the move. It is at hand, somebody said, within one step of us, within one step of earnest purpose and resolute endeavor. It is here in the common things about us, here in life's capacity for beauty, kindness, joy, here in home, friends, even in the associations of the workday world. Yes, everywhere the kingdom of God is at hand to every one of us, says B. Hefford. Everywhere. Oh, we, we stop life as normal. We come to church because, praise God, it is the Lord's day. It's the first day of the week, and we give him our first day. And we come and celebrate his resurrection. I love when somebody said that. This is the day we get to celebrate his resurrection. Resurrection. Every Sunday we're celebrating he is alive. And, and so the amazing aspect of that is, yes, this is very special uh, and it's so important that we should not neglect gathering together and worshiping together. And even those that are listening in today on Facebook Live are doing all that they can to worship with us together. We're not going to neglect that. But what Jesus is saying, he didn't say this in the temple. Notice that. He didn't say it in a time of prayer. He didn't say it in worship. Jesus says that the kingdom of God is at hand with you. Wherever you would go. Whatever you would be doing this week. The kingdom of God is that close. See, that starts to make me think about my life and how I live it. And what I do with it. But it also gives me great hope that the kingdom of God is that close to me. As Jesus says that to them. Now, now, some have said even the translation kingdom is not really the greatest word there. One of the reasons why they say that, that when you say the kingdom of God is at hand, what that word is implying is a place, is implying a location, a geographical location. The actual word, many scholars believe it should be translated kingship. The kingship of God is at hand. The reign of God is at hand. Quite important when we realize that this is Jesus starting his ministry. This is Jesus' first sermon. And he is saying to you, the kingship, my kingship of God is just starting. And it is at hand. See, kingship tells me it's about a relationship. Kingship tells me it's about a person. It's about the king that I can personally know and follow and have relationship with. That is what Jesus is saying in this point that we see right here. God is the rightful king over our lives. Whether you want to recognize it or not, whether you know it or not today, God is the rightful king through Jesus Christ because he has created the world and he has created you. Pastor Mike said that during our prayer time. You've been made in his image. Now, whether you want to recognize that or not, that doesn't change the fact that he is king. 
I proclaim him often in my prayer, king over Canada. It's written on in, in, in our parliament building, written over the doorposts, for he shall have dominion from sea to sea. Now, maybe most Canadians don't recognize that, but that does not change the truth that Jesus is indeed king over Canada. And we know it and proclaim it and live it. And so Jesus is basically saying right here, now is the time. The time is fulfilled, and now is the time. And heaven is actually kissing earth. And the rule of God can actually be seen, heard, touched, and felt. Because he is now here. Jesus is on the move. We know that Jesus believed in the kingdom and preached the kingdom. And it was even in his prayers. We know how important it was because even in the Lord's prayer, say it with me, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's how he taught us to pray. He's asking us to pray as the body of Christ, as his disciples, that his kingdom would come more and more here on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I think one of our problems that has happened, and it's not, it's not that it's not the truth, it is the fact that we've put too much emphasis on it. And Pastor Mike and I have been trying to preach this and teach this. That, that we uh, believe in the kingdom, but we believe the kingdom as a future reality. And that's true. It is a future reality. There is going to come a day, and we've been talking about that. I've preached about that recently. There is going to come a day when the trump shall sound, and Christ shall come, and there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and we will have new resurrected bodies, and we will get to enter into that future kingdom. Hallelujah. That's good, brother. At least somebody's excited. That, that's exciting. I know where I'm going. I know why I'm here. I have a purpose, and I know where I'm going to spend eternity. Praise God. So that is, I am in the kingdom, and I'm looking forward to that day of the kingdom in the future. But the truth of it is, Jesus is saying to you at hand, the kingdom of God wants to be in you now, today. Not just some future reality way out there. That you're not just looking forward to the kingdom and in the kingdom, but Christ wants the kingdom of God living in and through you. That's the reason why we're given the Holy Spirit. So my friends, God's kingdom is more than advice. It's more than agendas. It's more than prayer. It is the good and extremely dangerous good news that the living God is here, and he's on the move. How do you enter the kingdom? How do you get to be a part of this kingdom? How does the kingdom of God enter you? Well, Jesus gives us the response, doesn't he? Repent and believe the good news. Remember we said the first week, good news is glad tidings. Glad tidings that God has come to be with man and to save us. That's good news. And so he's saying here that in order for you to understand the kingdom, in order for you to be part of the kingdom, you need to repent 
and believe. Now, this is not a one-time thing at an altar at camp. I mean, of course, that happens there. That's the doorway into the life of Christ and into the kingdom. But this attitude of repentance and belief is challenged every day for us. It is a daily walk with Jesus. It is a daily short of counts of what's going on in my life, what I've done today, what I'm neglected to do, what I said to someone that I shouldn't have said. Or when I should have spoken up, I didn't. It's those, those moments every day, that checking of our hearts and lives. I like what somebody says, that repentance is when I look inside of myself. Faith and belief is when I look out to God. If repentance is strong, somebody said, but faith isn't. Now think about this. This you got to think a little bit. If repentance is strong, but faith isn't, there's a restlessness and a dissatisfaction. Because, see, we sing the great hymn, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. If I don't have belief, if I don't have faith, if I don't have trust, and all I have is repent, then, then I'm, I'm going around a little bit fatalistic, wondering if God's going to forgive me or if he's not. Uh, we're not even going to get into that this morning. There's a whole theological debate there. I'm not going there. So that's dangerous. But somebody else said, which I think we have a lot of today if we're not careful, if my faith is strong and I believe in Jesus Christ, but there is no conviction and no repentance, then there is spiritual pride and spiritual self-sufficiency and self-righteousness. And so Jesus knows right from this beginning message of his that repentance and belief must go hand in hand. Just like, uh, just like a hand out there in one of those rubber gloves that our guys are having to wear. It is that the two need to go together. And so as we look at this word repentance today, it is important to Jesus because it's the two words he says in his first message. And he will continue to say. John already started, repent. We've talked about it. But repentance... We often tend to think of repentance of feeling sorry, of being guilty. And if we're not careful, repentance, a lot of people are sorry, but it doesn't mean they've truly repented. So we have to be careful of that if that's all we've made it out. The actual word again means a change. It means a turnaround. We've talked about that. It means I was going in this direction on my own into sin, and that moment came when I repented, and I turned myself around. It is a U-turn, a complete, not a partial U-turn, a complete turnaround. That is what repentance really means. Here's a strong statement. There is a difference between sorrow over getting caught, sorrow over the consequences of my sin, Versus real sorrow and brokenness of spirit. I'm going to say that again. Are you getting it? There is a difference of having sorrow over the fact that I got caught. Sorrow uh, over the fact that I have consequences to my sin. Because the truth of it is, if that's all it is, it is soon forgotten. And also what happens, if the consequences aren't there, I'll probably go right back to it. And continue in it. That's not what Jesus is saying here. 
And if we're not careful, some people have said, well, I've repented of my sins because the consequence of my sins is hell. So that's why I've repented. I don't want to go to hell. That's only you don't want the consequence of your sin. That's not what Jesus is asking here. That's a part of it. But what Jesus is asking here is true repentance is a turnaround because my heart is broken. My spirit is broken. And why my spirit is broken is because I've done something against my king. And I have prevented my king and our relationship to be what it once was. Look at David. When David is in sin with Bathsheba and his relationship becomes so cold with God that God has got to send the prophet to him and finally says to him, you're the man. David, broken, contrite, spirit writes that beautiful psalm, create in me, O God, a clean heart. Repentance is a broken heart. A repentance is when we look in the mirror and we see ourselves as we truly are, warts and all. We see ourselves with all that we've done where we have fallen short of the glory of God. Where we look at the reality of our brokenness and our broken lives and broken relationships and broken speech And just have destroyed the very thing. Yes, we're made in God's image, but we haven't been showing his image to others. Instead, we have fallen. Somebody said it this way, to know how much we have wounded our Savior. To know the wasted years, the sense of want and longing. A child of spiritual poverty, craving for the grace and the fullness of of Christ. Until you get to that point, you won't be celebrating what Christ has done for you. He's done more for me than give me a ticket away from hell. Praise God. I don't even have to think about that. I don't even have to worry about that. But he's done so much more for me than just that. He has forgiven me. He has cleansed me. He gives me his power to live a life that will honor him. But more importantly, he's my king. He's with me, and I don't want anything in my life that would break that relationship. And when I do, I repent. And usually it's almost every day. Live in a married life, it's every day. Raise some teenagers, it's every day. Live in this world around us. Live in COVID with the attitudes and the struggles and the frustrations and the lack of appreciation, and the complaining, and the murmuring, it's every day. And so I don't know where we ever thought that repentance was something that's a one-time event, and it's done, and it's over with. Repentance is a daily journey, and that's why Jesus says to us, repent. That to me is holiness. Holiness is my relationship with Jesus is so special, and so wonderful, and I can't wait to see my king as I enter into his kingdom, and when that happens, I don't want to do anything that would cause him pain, that would cause his kingdom to receive a bad report or to turn people away. Now, am I perfect? Far from it. I'm sure he could help you and tell you where I'm not. But we've been talking about holiness on Wednesday nights. I'm perfecting. 
So what does that say? I don't have to compare my life to yours, and you don't have to compare yours to mine, but I'm 100% because I'm 100% better than I was last week. That's my desire. I pray that's yours today. That, that's what Jesus is saying, that repent is, is repent. And praise God, we do get to enter into eternity with him. And praise God, we don't have to worry about hell. But that's not why I repent. Because of that consequence, I repent because he is the king and his kingship. There's a story of an alcoholic who became a Christian and was able, by the grace of God, to quit drinking. And his old drinking buddies made fun of him, and one of them asked, do you really believe that Jesus turned water into wine? And the new Christian thought for a moment, and then he replied, I don't know whether Jesus turned water into wine, but I do know that in my house he turned beer into furniture. That's a changed life. That's a life because of repentance and sorrow for his sin that Christ was able to come in and give him the power to stop drinking, was able to come in and give him the power to step, instead of wasting his money, and to be that home changed and that life changed and their finances changed. That's the kind of change that Jesus is about. That's the kind of change, if we had time to sit down and hear our stories, we would say, that's what Jesus has done for me because that's what he wants to do. Then he says to us, believe in the good news. Right there at the end. See, belief is when I'm convinced of something. Belief is that I know it to be true. Belief is I trust something or someone. It's the word we use, faith. Do you realize that that word is used interchangeably in the, in the original language of the New Testament? That faith and trust and belief are all the same word? So anytime that you see one of them being translated, you could put the other two words in there. I don't think we think enough that belief means I trust God. That's what it means. I trust him. I trust him at his word. I trust that his intentions for me are good. I can go to the bank on it. I can trust that God is going to see me through any situation. I can trust that when God says all things are possible, they are. That's what faith is. It's trusting him. Hebrews tells us that faith is what? The assurance of things hoped for, the proof of things not seen. But my friends, I want to bring to your attention here uh, that this belief here is not just mere belief. It is belief in the good news. It's the belief in the glad tidings. It is the belief that Jesus Christ, the king, is on the move and he is here. That is what we believe. Why do I say that? Well, James 2.19 says it this way. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Belief is not enough just to have belief. Someone put it this way. It is about the object of our belief that counts. Belief in itself is not enough. We need to believe in the good news. It's critical. People believed in Hitler, but Hitler betrayed their trust, and his legacy that he left behind were shattered lives and rubble. Extremist religion, religious beliefs drive most of the world's terrorist activities today. They'll tell you they believe. Any number of people believe in money or power, but Jesus calls us to believe, yes, but in the good news, the gospel. 
It's to trust God at his promises. It's to trust God that when he offers us salvation, eternal salvation and salvation from our sins today, that I can know that this, everything that this is telling me is true and trustworthy. And that's when we can sing that wonderful hymn, Blessed Assurance. Jesus is mine. There are people out there today that will preach and teach because of their theology. You can never know that. I don't believe that. That you will not know until that day when Jesus comes, whether you are one or not. We don't believe that. We believe that we can have this blessed assurance. John Wesley talked about it. That was the power of it, that we can have this blessed assurance that if we confess our sins, if we repent, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And that's what we mean by cleansing. That's what we mean I'm a new person. That's what it means that I've been born from above. I've been born from his kingship. I've been born again is another way you've said it all your lives. You've even sung about it. That's what it's saying. I've been born not just of earthly kingdoms, but I've been born of his kingdom. And the king's coming back for me. Hallelujah. And not leaving me behind. I am not forgotten. I have a purpose. My life has meaning. And so it's important for us to believe. But believe in the person. And believe in the good news that he is trustworthy. So my friends, we're just scratching the surface. I love this statement from C.S. Lewis. Look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else. Beautiful statement. Jesus is on the move. That's what we're going to look at in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus says, believe the good news, to take Jesus as his word, to believe that God is kind and gracious and will forgive us if we repent. The God who Jesus has told us about is to believe that God so loved the world that he will make every sacrifice that's necessary to bring you back to him and to bring you into his kingship and to believe that what sounds too good to be true is really true. And here's the question. Do you believe it? I close with this story. A poor woman once came to a doctor with a broken heart. She was telling the sad story of her wandering only daughter in the great city, how she had left home, and she said, Doctor, can you please help me? After considering the situation, the doctor said, yes, I can help you. Go get your photograph taken and go and make lots and lots of copies of it. And when you make the copies right under the picture, come home. And so it wasn't long that he had all these pictures in his hands from this poor mother. And as he received all these pictures in his hands, he went out and found places where people who felt that they were outcasts, people who felt that they were friendless, he posted that picture up for everyone to see. And they waited and they waited. And then all of a sudden one day, that wayward daughter came and looked at that picture and she saw her mother's face. And amazingly, she saw her mother's handwriting come home. Well, you know the story. She realized it didn't matter what she had done. It didn't matter how she had hurt her mother. It didn't matter all the things she had done wrong. She could come home. Isn't that the story of the prodigal son? That no matter how far he went, he knew he could come home. 
And as he comes before the Father, the Father is waiting and weeping over him. And as he comes, he says to his Father, I have sinned. (laughs) And the Father embraces him and loves him and puts a ring on his finger and a cloak around him. And they go and have a party and celebrate. For my son that was lost has been found. My friends, that's the gospel. That's the story of Jesus. That's my story. That's your story. A life changed, transformed by the power of God. Come home. And so, as Aslan was on the move and something was afoot, my friends today, freedom, someone said, is on the move and it's happening now. We are part of the Jesus movement that started way back then, yes, over 2,000 years ago. People are still hurting and God is still redeeming. There are people to be loved and fed. There are people hurting who need to hear the rumor of hope. Repeat it, just as the beaver told the children, despite all evidence to the contrary, Aslan is on the move. Despite all the evidence even of COVID to the contrary, Jesus is still on the move. I'll say it again, despite the evidence to the contrary, Jesus is on the move. He's still on the move, sending the Spirit to blow through new and unexpected places every day. The call has come, and Jesus says the time is now. And it requires immediate response. Repent and believe. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. We're going to do something different today. We can't do altar calls like we normally used to and all that kind of stuff, but I know that it's important that we respond today. So I'm going to ask you today to remain seated. And this will be our altar call today. And, and, and I, want, I want you to respond in this way, that as we're singing this song, if you feel that this is spoken to you today, Maybe it's been a while since you repented. Maybe it was a while since you put and knew and proclaimed that Christ is your king. Maybe there's a realization today that repentance was not just something I did 40 years ago, but repentance is what I need to do today and tomorrow and next week. And whenever I have allowed sin to come into my life, that I know I need to repent. No one needs to know what it's about. Only Jesus needs to know. I had my moment yesterday of confession because I had a stinking attitude about something and I had to give it to the Lord. Praise God for his forgiveness. Praise God. Praise God that he just forgives us. But we've got to repent it. And so I want to encourage you today, if God has spoken to you, I want you just to stand as we sing the song. If it's your desire to live this life of the kingship of Christ, And to do it as fully as you are able. All ages. Take a stand. Make it known today. You're not making it so much known to me and others. It is important. But you're making it known to him. King of my life, I crown thee now. That's all we're doing. Maybe for some of you, it will be the first time you've ever taken a stand for Jesus. Maybe you've been like a lot of us. We've been raised in church. We've heard it all our lives. But today is the day that you actually understood what you're supposed to do, and that is to repent and believe. I encourage you to stand.
and then we'll have a word of prayer.